Hi, I'm James Gardner, host of Your History, Your Story, a podcast for everybody who loves stories about interesting people and events told by those who uncovered them from within their own family trees. This, we hope, will inspire you to discover and celebrate your history and your story. On June 29, 1933, at the Garden Bowl in Long Island City, New York, an imposing six-foot-six Italian boxer named Primo Carnera knocked out a smaller but highly skilled and more experienced Jack Sharkey to become the world heavyweight boxing champion. Primo was born in 1906 in a small village in the northeastern corner of Italy. A large baby at birth, Primo continued to grow at an alarming rate, and by the time he was a teenager, towered over his family and all the other residents of his village. Eventually, he was asked to leave his home because his parents could no longer afford to provide the food necessary to satisfy his ravenous appetite. After setting out on his own, Primo worked odd jobs and after a while found work as a circus strongman in France, where he was able to earn a living, eat well, and grow even bigger and stronger. While performing as a circus strongman, 22-year-old Primo was discovered by a boxing promoter named Leon C., who had been told of Carnera's enormous size and incredible strength. Thus began Primo Carnera's professional boxing career, which would take him across Europe and to the United States, where he would earn the nickname the Ambling Alp and would go on to win the world heavyweight boxing title a little less than five years after his first professional fight. He would also accumulate a record-setting 72 wins by knockout. In this episode of Your History, Your Story, we will be speaking with Primo Carnera's granddaughter, Anne Hibbets, and will share family stories about her grandfather's life, including his early years as a hungry teenager, his incredible boxing career, which included bouts against such greats as Jack Sharkey, Max Baer, and Joe Lewis, and his acting career, which included small parts in movies such as The Prizefighter and the Lady and Mighty Joe Young, in which he had a tug-of-war scene with the giant gorilla. In this heartfelt interview, Anne will explain that despite her grandfather's enormous size, physical strength, and knockout punch, he was really a gentle giant who loved his family and treated others with gentleness and kindness. I'd now like to welcome Ann Hibbets to our show. Welcome, Ann. Thank you for having me. Well, we're honored to have you. I want to start off with this question, Ann. Where were you born and raised? Uh, I was born in Southern California, and I lived there till about 12. And then we moved back to Sikwals, where Primo was from, uh, lived there for three years, and then um, went back to Illinois and finished out my college there. Okay, so Sikwals, Italy. Yes, Sequoia Italy. I'm sorry. Yes. Oh, no problem at all. So, and this podcast is about Primo Carnera, who was the world heavyweight boxing champion from June 29th, 1933 to June 14th, 1934. And in my opinion, that was like right smack in the middle of the golden age of boxing. I mean, there's just, there's so many greats in that period. Mm-hmm. I agree. He was also about what about six foot six, six foot seven, and in his prime, about 265, 270. He won more fights by knockout 
than any other world heavyweight champ in history. That's quite an accomplishment, wouldn't you say? I agree. That's pretty amazing. So, Anne, how exactly are you related to Primo Carnera? I am Primo's granddaughter. My mother was his daughter. Uh, he passed away a year before I was born. Uh, but my mother and my grandmother, his wife, Pina, kept his story alive and his spirit alive and told a lot of told a lot of stories about him and they were very proud and loved him very, very much. So can you tell us kind of approximately when you had an idea of who your grandfather was and the famous person he became? Um, for the true appreciation is that when we went, moved back to Sequals, Italy, which was his hometown and people knew my mother, my mother had grown up there and, and yeah, I'd go to the market and people would stop me on the street and say, oh, you know, we know who your, your mother is and we know you're her daughter and we know who your grandfather is. And, you know, this we're so proud of him and we remember him. And it was ju just that people would come up and, and remember someone who'd been dead at that point, passed away at that point by what, 13 years or whatever. But he just lives on in Sequals. The older generation, generation above me, uh, remembered what he, a nice man he was. They such a gentleman, they would say, was, he was just a wonderful person. They were more proud of that, I think, than the title. The title was very important, obviously. It brought a lot of attention to Italian-American sports, but they just really liked him as a person. That's good that you got firsthand, um, really, comments from people, people who had met him and actually knew him. You mentioned your, your mother and, and your uh, grandmother talking about him do you remember any of the stories that they shared about him? What was he like as a person? Did he have a sense of humor, gentle spirit? What was he like? One of his nicknames was the Gentle Giant. He was uh, always known as, even if you go back and, and you look at some of the writings or some of the information about him, they always referred to him as just this kind person. Um, loved his family very, very much. And uh, always, I guess, had a, a kind word, definitely just loved children. He would, if it, where there would be crowds, you know, he'd get off the train and, 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 you know, in Milan or Rome and to go home and in the crowds, he'd find the children and he'd pick them up and he'd put them on their shoulder, his shoulders and just, uh, yeah, just a, a nice, gentle man, even though he was, you know, someone that boxed for boxed and then wrestled. And those are both very um, powerful sports, but personality wise off the, out of the ring, he was just a, a kind person. That's all I've ever heard. And that's all I've ever read. Now, I remember seeing a little newsreel of your grandfather bathing. It was either your, I guess your uncle or your mom as a, as a tiny baby. And he had these gigantic hands and he was washing the baby with such gentleness it really it really took me really i thought wow i'd be you know how's this gigantic man moving this little baby so gently around did your mom have any specific things about her dad that she really felt strongly about any strong memories that she had that she shared with you ever oh she was definitely a daddy's girl <laughs> She had a lot of, she had a lot of memories and obviously being their daughter, all the, all the fabulous ones, but she didn't realize really who he was until she grew a little. And as a young, young child, she didn't know, but she loved her father very much. And when they were together, she was, and, and her brother Umberto, 
um, just the focus when he came home and he was with them, he was just dad. She adored him. And from what I can tell, he adored her too. Well, that's very nice that you have those memories in your family and that those uh, memories are passed down to you. And uh, let's go back now. Let's, uh, let's go to Primo's early years in Italy. So you said he was born in Sequoia's. What part of Italy is that? That's in Northern Italy. It's uh, North, let me do my math, Northeastern, close to uh, what used to be the Yugoslavian border. Is it a beautiful area? Oh, gorgeous. You know, your backdrop is the Alps and yeah, meadows. And it's, it was, a, it is a beautiful area. I haven't been back ever since then, but I do just remember coming from Southern California, the LA area, and you go to this beautiful wide open space and, you know, the town was wonderful and um, just quaint. Everything was just really adorable about it. Oh, now, do you know anything or was it ever passed down to you his early history? Why did he leave Sequals? How did he become a boxer? Do you know that story? Yeah, I do. And that was, it's, it's a story that my family, my family has always been exceptionally proud of because it really can tell you the type of person he was. He was um, born uh, in Sequals. He was the first son. So his name was Primo. And his brother was named Seconda, which meant second. <laughs> which was, so oh, really? dad were just pretty, um, you know, black and white people. So, you know, he's, he's number one and number two. Um, he was born, he was 22 pounds when he was born. 22 pounds. He's already a, a halfback. Yeah. He, <laughs> yeah and he grew uh, up very quickly and he became his family was nor our my family my uh, my great grandparents normal size his brothers were normal size um but they were people who worked you know at that point they didn't have a lot of money uh his father worked uh, like quarries and with stones but um money was tight and his memory and what my grandmother always told me is he grew up hungry constantly you know, he didn't have enough food to fill his body. So um, honestly, his parents said, you know, I think he was 14 or 15. I can't remember the exact age. And they said, listen, you know, we can't afford to feed you. We can't, you, you know, and you need to go out in the world and, and make your own way. And, you know, when we think back at today's age, you can't imagine, you know, sending your child out. So he traveled to France and uh, found a circus and he became a strong man in the circus. And he also did wrestling on the side, which was kind of the foundational for when he went into wrestling later on, which kind of after his boxing career, it was kind of like a little light bulb moment of, you know, things he could do because he was very successful there. Um, he was found by a promoter at the circus and that's kind of how his story began. And that promoter said, you know, with that size, we can make a boxer out of him. That's interesting. You know, I think about running off and joining the circus. <laughs> we, we, we joke about it, but it was, it was real. It's something that, I mean, he was a great candidate for the, the circus as a strong man. That's for sure. Yeah. And he was able to, once he joined the circus, he finally had enough food. And when he finally had enough food, he actually grew more. So he became larger and he became stronger. He wasn't just this person who was hungry and wasn't developing as a normal nutritional guidelines. But once he was able to eat well, during his time in, in the circus, he did expand on his size and strength. 
you know, I've, I've seen photographs and for those of you listening on our YouTube channel, you'll see photographs of Primo. He was like the ultimate physical specimen, absolute ultimate physical specimen. And uh, I can imagine how much food it would take to feed him. <laughs> really uh, just a huge man, but so he would also do some wrestling as well. Was it part of the circus thing or was it like a side gig? The little that I know about that component of it was another way to make money. You'd wager and, you know, just like betting on it. So it was another way for him to bring some money in. From what I can tell, what I've heard is he won all the time, but strictly because of his, you know, his size. There wasn't really anyone in Europe at that point that could match him uh, size-wise. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. I've, I've read a few statistics, but a couple of things I read said like the average Italian adult male in uh, the early 20th century might've been about five foot five, mm-hmm. maybe five, six at the tops. And he was you know, well over a foot taller than the average man. So he must've just really, really stood out as a, as a big guy. In any photograph that you see, you know, he's always heads taller than than everybody else. If I think about, you know, you do look at him and what he, how he look, I mean, muscle wise and, and structure, body structure wise. And I always wonder if he had take him and put him in today's conditioning and today's world of how to, you know, physically the exercising and the regime and the, and the nutrition and everything, what he would have become or how, how much more he would have become. Yeah, I definitely think of that. That's because, you know, it was a hard life back then. I mean, you, your grandfather was born in 1906. You know, again, he didn't really know where his next meal was coming from, probably when he was initially starting off and, until he found that at least the circus gave him a structured environment where they needed to feed him. But uh, yeah, so you could you can imagine if he had really you know, good coaching and good nutrition and good conditioning. Wow. Wow. He, he would have really been amazing, but he was amazing even without modern training. When yeah. you think of it. So in 1930 at age 24, Primo moved to the United States. What uh, caused that? And uh, how did he adapt to his new home? Um the promoter that found him and these are some of the details I, I bet you even know more specific details and names and dates but the promoter at that point he had done some boxing in uh europe they he, they started him out there kind of to see what he was like and you know could and kind of get you know he's just starting as a boxer um and started on some basic training of you know what how to be how to work in the boxing ring and period just how to box once he'd had some foundational work done there, then they brought him over to America to start, you know, start small and, and work his way up as a boxer. He was a simple man. I mean, really honest, you know, he, he came from a small town. He was a simple man that, and I don't mean simple is, is not smart. He, he was, he was a smart man. He spoke three languages. Um, he was just, you know, someone who was very trusting also. So he was brought over and he was, from what I know and from, from some of the stories my parents told, you know, terrified, obviously, but excited. I mean, he's got this opportunity that you never would have dreamed of. 
So he was excited when he came over and was excited. He trusted the people around him and was looking forward to a, a great career. Now, when you say trusted, that sort of brings me to my next question. Some have said that uh, Primo, there was some mob involvement with some of Primo's fights. What are your thoughts on those allegations? Honestly, there, there probably was some, some things around him. I mean, at that time period, you know, the, you know, I want to say the mob or people, I mean, people would take advantage and they knew they could make money in certain ways. And again, he trusted. And I know that my grandmother told me at one point that, you know, he, he was sad. I mean, it, he truly was very sad when he realized what was happening. However, he was a big man who could land a punch and he was a fighter and he had the ability to win. And so, you know, I, I believe some of the stories, but I also believe that he was a good fighter in his own way. Mm -hmm. He may not have been graceful, but he was a big man and he had a, you know, he had a, a strong punch. Um, so I think there was, you know, I'll agree that there was some involvement at some point. I don't know anything specific, but I do believe he was a good fighter. There's a story with his fight with Max Bayer. He went, I think, 11, 13 rounds. He took hit after hit after hit, but he kept getting up and he kept fighting. He refused to, to just quit. The, he refused to throw in the towel. But that's tenacity and that is strength of character. That's not somebody who's there to throw a fight. That's somebody who's there to win a game, to win. And he was going to, he stood on his own two feet as long as he possibly could. And Max Perra did give him quite the pummeling. <laughs> and, yeah, he did. We're going to talk about that in a second. Often when you hear about mob involvement with Carnera, it's more that the fighters that Primo was uh, up against were some of them taking dives or falls or whatever, you know, so that there could be bets won and, and uh, careers advanced and money made in the mob. But Primo, from the videos I've seen of his fights, you know, he's giving it all. And as you pointed out, two things. One, with his size and his reach and his power, all you have to do is let your guard down one second and you're on the, you're on the canvas, you're down because mm -hmm. he was just a powerful man. But he could also take the hits as well. Mm -hmm. He didn't have what I guess they call a glass jaw or anything like that. He was, mm -hmm. he was a powerful guy. But it, it always looked like he was giving it, it his all. Now, in one case, in 1933, your grandfather, Primo, uh, got into the ring with a boxer by the name of Ernie Schaff. And uh, it was a sad outcome to that fight. Mm -hmm. But it kind of shows that Primo could hit and could hit hard. Could you tell us a little bit about that event um, unfortunately, after my grandfather did hit him, he, he, like you said, he put his guard down for a moment and he did get hit extremely, extremely hard. Um, and he passed away a few days later and my grandfather never recovered from that. That I know for, for a true story. It was told to me by my grandmother and my, and my mother. And, um, he was never, they said he was never quite the same because you have this man who again, gentle and kind, who truly believed that 
that blow that he dealt was the end that caused, you know, caused Ernie to pass away. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a horrible thing. It was a horrible situation. And, you know, he, he truly never recovered from it. I remember my grandmother said he had nightmares, nightmares for years. He'd wake up, you know, you had this huge man who'd wake up in, in pure sweats and, and terrors. Oh. And that went on for years. So yeah, he took it very personally and, you know, he continued with his career, obviously, but, you know, as a person psychologically, that was, that was a big deal. And, you know, back then there was no psychological counseling or anything, you know, in today's day, it would be very different. You'd have somebody and he'd be able to talk to someone, he'd be able to, you know, try to work through all that. And that's just, you know, a guy in a ring who thinks he killed a man and then had to live with that the rest of his life. Yeah, that must have been really tough on him because, I mean, I've seen films of that fight. And in the beginning, if I recall, I, I, right after uh, Schaff was, was knocked down and out, your grandfather looks around to like, see, is he okay? Um, mm-hmm. Of course, he celebrates because he's, he's won the fight, but you could see he was worried about, you know, are you okay? This is, this is about boxing. It's about a sport. It's not about trying to maim or hurt somebody for the sake of hurting them. It's because it's an athletic event. You, you could see the concern on his face, but then again, he, his livelihood now was boxing. So here he is, he's, he's a contender and he has to keep boxing in order to, to live. Right. Mm-hmm. And in 1933, your grandfather went up against a boxer by the name of Jack Sharkey for the world heavyweight championship. Can you tell us a little bit about that fight? What was the outcome? Oh yeah. The outcome was, you know, he beat Sharkey and he took over as the world heavyweight champion. And that's first Italian American heavyweight champion in the world. And that's, that was a huge thing for Italian Americans or any Italians. My grandmother had a box full of letters that he would receive from around the world about how excited they were that, you know, that they, they looked up to him. He won that match and there was, there was talk about, was this match fixed? However, there's an article that was written, an interview with Sharky, probably 10, 15 years later. And the, you know, the interviewer asked him dead out, did you take a fall? And Sharky was, when you read the article, adamant, adamant, adamant that when Primo hits you, he, it, there, you go down. There's, he said that man, the man's punch reach was amazing. There was, he said, why in the world would I throw away my belt? He hit me, he hit me hard and I lost fair and square. So to hear that Sharky adamantly said, it, it was a fair and square fight really to me personally, you know, kind of solidifies the fact that that belt was real and truly earned. It would have had to have been a big payoff for him, as you said, to sacrifice his championship status. Mm-hmm. And I've seen videos of that fight as well. And uh, Sharky got, he got clocked. <laughs> he got, he got hit hard so for almost a year, uh, your grandfather was the world heavyweight boxing champion. So as you said, he was, he's, he's representing Italy, Italian Americans. So what, to your knowledge, um, 
you know, obviously he passed away a year before you were even born, but from what people told you about him, how did he handle that fame during that year? Do you know? I don't know much about that time period. Obviously he was very excited. I know that he, when he would go back to Italy, he was overwhelmed by, he didn't think he was all that these crowds would come and see him and, and they'd want to touch him and they'd want to, you know, be near him and they'd shout his name and you'd, he'd get off the train and you'd hear Carnera, Carnera over and over again. And he, he was, he still stayed humble though. He wasn't proud, a proud man in regards, but he stayed humble and he, it was a, it was a new thing for him. And there was, I can't even imagine what that would be like for a man from a small town who was sent away by his family to come back and have your name chanted wherever you go and to be recognized. And he's very recognizable. You can't really miss him. <laughs> so it's not like he fly into a, a restaurant or anything. There was a story about um, he met my grandmother and they went out to dinner. They were sitting by the window and people just kept knocking on the window, knocking on the window. And my grandmother was a very um, strict, uh, how do we put it? Very, very, I won't say uptight, but she, she, she looked at him and she was like, I just, you know, I don't think this is going to work. I, I can't do this. And he said, he picked her up and he, he moved them to the back of the room. And, um, you know, she had some transitioning to do. She had to understand it too, but yeah, it was, it was a cha life-changing event. Yeah. Particularly for a humble guy. Yeah. So in 1934, we started to talk about it. And on June 14th, uh, your grandfather lost the title to Max Bear. Mm -hmm. And Max Bear, some people may know Max Bear, both from the Cinderella Man movie, the role that, well, the actor in that movie play, that played Max Bear came across as a really sort of a nasty, mean person. That's at least the, the feel you got from him. He, he was somebody that... Um, wasn't very nice, mm -hmm. but in reality, that is far from, far from the truth. From what I understand about Max Bear, he was a very, very nice man. And he actually became friends with your father. But what I, the, in the fight in, in 1934, Max Bear, he beat your father. And I think he, he actually beat him up pretty badly because I saw there's a picture of your grandfather lying in a hospital bed. It looks like. Mm -hmm. And Max Bear was visiting him in the hospital. Yeah. Do you know anything about that uh, that relationship between the two men? Max Bear completely respected my grandfather for what they went through for that that uh, fight or that bout. They became friends for years. For years, they would he would go over to uh, my my grandmother was an amazing cook. They'd go over and you know sit with my grandfather and. As far as I know, all I've ever heard is what a nice man he was and how he was a, a good friend to my grandfather. Yeah, and if I could pick two boxers from a bygone era that I would like to sit down and talk with, they would be Max Bear and your grandfather. Oh. Because I just think they are just interesting men, tremendous warriors in the in the ring, but... Uh, that have big hearts, big guys with mm -hmm. big hearts. And that's the way I think of both of them. As far as I can think about Max Bear is he had, he had a persona he had to play, you know, it's, 
it's part of the, it's part of the game you know he's he made himself renowned for being aggressive or but underneath i mean which my grandfather never did he was he they approached boxing from different ways my grandfather never tried to come off as aggressive but i think max was just this nice guy underneath i don't think my grandfather would have been friends with him or had him over for dinner if he was a jerk you know just kind of a jerk to him it's just that's just <laughs> one of those things he would do <laughs> definitely so i understand that primo had an acting career and actually he was he acted in a movie with max bear called the prize fighter and the lady in 1933 and the, and the movie that they made together was really the, it was the year before the the fight that they had so here they are they're acting together they probably were friendly at that yeah. time and they got into the ring and of course you know all bets are off in the ring and you know once the gloves are on uh it was all business at that point in time but they were friends can you tell us a little bit about what you know about primo's acting career he wasn't the best actor in the world <laughs> tell you that uh but he yeah he i think he was a unique person he was an interesting person but i don't know a lot of specifics about how he got the roles but i do know that he was friends with bob hope and they acted together in a period piece i have pictures with him with the three stooges i don't know if he was in a movie with them or that was just happened to be a fun thing they did so I think it was just something he did for fun. I've never, you know, I've never heard that he, you know, his big dream was to act for the rest of his life. But he, uh, again, how do you come to think about a simple man coming from a small town and now he's, you know, he's in Hollywood and he's friends with a famous actor. It's, it's just, you know, talking about a Cinderella story. That's it's an amazing story. Yeah. You can't make that up. That's why I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. By the way, the movie, The Prize Fighter and the Lady, one of our previous guests on our podcast, her name is Cora Sue Collins. And as a little girl, she acted in that movie, Prize Fighter and the Lady. And she remembered your grandfather. She had told me, you know, he, he seemed like a very nice man. Of course, she was very little at the time, but I'm sure she probably got that gentle giant feel from him. Uh, and my cousin and the, was is older than me, but she remembers being a, a young a young girl, or and she remembers just putting her hand in his hand, and she remembers his hand and how huge it was. You know, she just his little hand in, in his in his big mitt, and very gentle though. She remembers the same thing too. And I know another one of his nicknames was the Ambling Alp. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so as you said, they could see the Alps from uh, Sequals, so that's how we got that name. But one of the photos you sent me was your grandfather standing next to Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, he was also in King Kong. Uh, he was one of the strongmen in King Kong, trying to, trying to fight. He was one of, you know, a bunch of strongmen that were playing tug of war with Kong and they lost. <laughs> was it Mighty Joe Young? That was yep. it. Yep, well, it was perfect. No, so I think about probably like Charlie Chaplin and the Three Stooges are just great photo shoot opportunities to have this giant guy and these little men. It was a good uh, sort of a comedy picture to have. So Primo's boxing career started to drop off a little bit, particularly after his loss to Joe Lewis. 
mm-hmm. uh, in a later fight. You know, his boxing career just was not going up and to the right anymore. He also, from what I understand, had some health issues that may have affected his boxing. Can you tell us about that, Anne? Well, what I know is that he did start to step away from boxing. He went back home. He went back to Sequoia. He lived in Villa Carnera and he lived there with his family. And he just, he needed some time is what he needed. And I think, especially with my grandmother saying, you know, this, this isn't what I want to see anymore in your life. I have heard that he developed diabetes. Mm. I don't know where that developed in relation to him going back into his wrestling career. I don't know if he was battling that at the same time or if that came afterwards. Yeah. So he was having some, some issues with things that were caused by diabetes, whatever the effects of diabetes were, were affecting his fighting and maybe his training. You mentioned your grandmother before and her name was Giuseppina. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Giuseppina. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. They married in 1939. They were married 28 years when Primo passed away in 1967. Mm-hmm. And by 1939, Primo's boxing career was phasing out. But during that time that they were married, he, you mentioned he went into wrestling. He did some wrestling. He was pretty well known as a wrestler. He probably drew a lot of people, a lot of crowds, would you say? Definitely. I know that somehow at the end of his boxing career, he wasn't left with a lot of money. People took advantage of him for what he had gone through. He should have been set for life for what, you know, what he accomplished, but all said and told he, in the end, he, he ended up, you know, not with a lot of money and he had to make a decision on how do you continue supporting your family? How do you consider and wrestling going back to his thoughts on, you know, what he was doing, uh, with the circus kind of developed some ideas and, and wisely. So I think as a wrestler, his body type and, um, it's not as violent, you know, I think Giuseppina was happy with that. You know, she was much happier than having him, you know, punched in the face all the time. And, yeah. um, it just seemed to be a better fit for where he was with his life, where he was with his body, you know, your body is wrecked. It hurts. And, mm. You know, wrestling was just not as, as it's a physical sport, but I think it was something that was more manageable for him. Yeah, I would think so. Now, during their 28 year marriage, did they live mostly in the United States? Um, They split their time. They had a villa back in Italy um, and then they had a home in somewhere in Southern California. Uh, Both my, you know, my grandmother and my mother went back and forth quite a bit. When your grandfather was age 61 in 1967, he was very, very ill, right, mm-hmm. at that time. And from what you had told me in a previous conversation, he wanted to go back home, really, mm-hmm. to, to die. When I say home, sequals. Could you tell us about that? By the end, he was a very, very sick man. You, you just you could look at him, you could tell he was a very sick man. They were in California at that point. And he wanted to go home, literally to die. He wanted to go home. And I have a photograph of my mother hugging him at the airport. And that's them saying goodbye. And it's, it's a heartbreaking photo to look at. But he did go home and he passed away there, as was his wish. And I think, you know, as, as much as if we all get that opportunity to 
choose where and be happy and peaceful and with the people that you love around you. You know, I'm very glad that he was able to do that. Now you mentioned that you did live in Sequals for, for a little while. Did you ever visit his grave there? Yep. He has a mausoleum. So my grandmother's actually buried. She'd passed away in, in America when I was living in Italy. And so they brought her body back and she was put into the mausoleum with my grandfather. It's not fancy. It's kind of him. It's a little ma- mausoleum and it's in a cemetery where it's not ostentatious. I think his brother might be in there too, but it was just something simple, just like him. He didn't, you know, it was just an opportunity to have his wife close to him. And, you know, you walk into, walk into the cemetery, it's not like it jumps out at you. It's just over on the side. <laughs> it's good that he was able to get back there in time and be where he wanted yeah. to be. We've talked about sequels a little bit already and uh, really how important Sequals was to your grandfather. As far as Sequals today, what does Primo mean to Sequals today from what you know? They celebrate Primo still. They are proud to have been his birthplace. They are proud that he built his villa there. My grandmother had sold uh, the Villa Carnera, which is what they that was a beautiful home in Sequals. And she sold it in 1971 but it went into disrepair after. So I think in early 2000s, the town of Sequals decided that they wanted to revive it. So the town purchased the villa. They have refurbished the villa. Um, I've seen, I've not been back, but it is beautiful. It is a museum. It is a museum to him. And what they like to do is celebrate boxing. I guess every year they have a uh, boxing tournament where they invite all the boxers from Europe and then they come and they have a wonderful, you know, award ceremony there. And, uh, um, and it's all under my grandfather's name. So they still remember him and they still celebrate him, which is, which is wonderful. And I think I, I told you once is you don't really truly pass away until the very last person forgets you or does it last person knows you. And he's living on and they're going to tell their children. They're very, they're very proud. And it's, it's a, I think he would be so happy just to be, you know, again, and they're proud of him and they remember him as just this amazingly kind guy who happened to elevate Italians in the sporting world. And even though you never met your grandfather, how does it make you feel that his home village of Sequals continues to hold him in such high esteem? must make you very proud. It's like you said, it's, it's a, I didn't know him. It's a unique feeling, but I, I have his bloodline. His blood runs through me too. And just his story, the whole story from the, you know, from the very beginning to the very end, I think is fascinating. I think in my life, I promote kindness. It's very important to me. And maybe I got that from him. I don't know. And he's remembered for the, all the most wonderful things. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of that. And you should be, definitely. And what do you think Primo would have wanted his legacy to be? I think he'd want it exactly as it is. A man, a nice man who won an amazing title. And yeah, I think he'd be pretty excited and happy with how it is right now. Well, he was certainly a humble man from everything I've heard about him and read about him. 
and just the fact that the town of his birth just honors him. And even though he had only one year as the world heavyweight champion, it was more his big heart and uh, how he treated other people that was the biggest part of his legacy, really. Uh, and I think that's a, a really nice thing to hear about somebody who's your grandfather. I just, it must be a, a great honor to you to be able to say that Primo Carnera was your grandfather. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, how about the rest of your family? How do they feel about being descended from him? Um, they're, they're teenagers, so they're a little self-involved, but <laughs> they, are, <laughs> um, they, they love his stories. We have posters of him. My, my son went, uh, to, went up to college and he definitely, he brought two framed, beautiful posters. He's very proud to tell everybody who, you know, who his grand, great grandfather is. As they get older, I think they'll understand more. I tell them the stories because hopefully they'll tell their children the stories. These are the things that you hope, you know, as they used to tell, as, as history used to be told, it was told from generation to generation, generation. So, you know, I'm, I tell the stories all the time and I remind them of, you know, when things are tough or they're having, you know, struggling with something. And I'm like, you need to think back, think back about how hard it was and how your great grandfather got up and kept going and did the right thing. So you've got it in you, just like I've got, you know, his bloodline, so do you. So, and, and they actually, it's a really good connection for them. They take a breath and then they go, okay, if this amazing story happened to my family, I can, I can do it. I can step up. And, you know, it's, it's, that's the nice part to see that you have someone who they've never met being affected or making their own life decisions based on the legacy that he has left. The legacy of your grandfather is just something that uh, for your family, that's fantastic. You know, as you said, the, his blood runs through your veins, their veins. But uh, I hope that this podcast will, the people listening to it will start to look up who was Primo Carnera if they don't know him. Maybe if, if you're a boxing um, enthusiast that you know, you know who Primo is, or you've, you've seen the Cinderella Man movie and you know, there's a, there's actually an actor who plays Primo briefly in a, in a fight scene there. But for other people who may hear this who may not be a boxing enthusiast to really research him a little bit and find out who he was and his journey and how he, he really had a, a tough time. I mean, just, I mean, to, to have to leave home because you're, you're hungry and they don't have enough food to feed you and then have to, to earn a living and then come to a foreign country and learn another language, you know, and let's face it, he was a big, huge guy and he was in great shape, but he was getting hit by the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Now he was taking big hits and uh, he had to take it. And of course he had health problems too. And he probably had to fight through a lot of not feeling well and things like that. But I think you should be very proud of him. And I hope that this discussion will spark some interest in other people to learn more about Primo and other, other people in history mm-hmm. who, who really had to work hard, even though, you know, there's little, little things about the, you know, the mob involvement, all that is like, you know, people trying to take advantage of somebody who was just an amazing person who trusted them. That's the story. And uh, again, I hope this 
this is a podcast that does justice to you and your family and the memory of your grandfather. Thank you. And I want to make sure that I am crystal clear that my grandfather earned that belt fair and square. He did. And it was recognized. So any of the doubters, anyone who would say anything negative about that, um, no, he earned that belt. I'm not a boxing expert, but I read Sharkey's article. Very, very, very sincere from the way I read it, that he lost to your grandfather fair and square. And I've seen videos of the fight and, um, you know, I'm with you on that one. I really am that he earned that title. I want to close with a little coincidence. Your grandfather passed away on June 29th, 1967. And he won the world heavyweight boxing champion title on June 29th, 1933. It's amazing. History has those little coincidences. Anyway, and I want to thank you for being a guest. Oh, thank and, you for having me. It's thank you for letting me share his story. And it's an honor. And I hope we can keep in touch. Thank you. And thanks again. Have a great evening. All right. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Your History, Your Story. You can connect with us on Facebook and YouTube at Your History, Your Story, or on Instagram and Twitter at YH. YS podcast. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, comments, or a story to tell. Be well and God bless.